0: My dad was sitting and said, congratulations, Pastor Walker. You have another baby boy and he's a walker for sure. He has a great set of lungs and a square head. (laughs) Now in code, you know what that means? That I'm a blockhead with a big mouth. That was my birth announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Walker, the blockhead with a big mouth. Let's hear it for him. Yeah. You would think I'm going to doubt God. Absolutely. A blockhead with a big mouth. That's why I do what I do. i got to be able to yell whatever I'm doing. But not John the Baptist. Not this guy. But here we find him. Not only is he doubting what the Lord's doing, (laughs) he's doubting if Jesus is even the Lord. Now, I want to tell you something. If John the Baptist is here, that makes me feel a whole lot better about me that I can come to these kind of places. You see, John the Baptist was like the rest of the Jews. They believed the Messiah was coming and his salvation was going to be to deliver them from the oppression of Rome and to establish God's kingdom there on the earth and establish his throne there in Jerusalem and the Jews would rule and reign with the Messiah. But he doesn't see Jesus moving towards Rome. He doesn't see him rallying the people. He doesn't see him assembling an army. And John the Baptist is going, do I need to keep wasting my time with you? I'm in prison because of you. Or is there somebody else? So what do we do when we're in that place of doubt? What do we do? Well, let's look at verse 2 and 3 again very quickly. Three quick things I would share with you to consider in this place of doubt. When John heard in prison that Christ, what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? If in doubt, the first thing I would say is ask. John goes directly to the horse's mouth and asks, are you the guy or not? When we're in that place or we don't understand what God's going, doing and going on with him, ask God the tough question. John goes right to him, sends his, his followers to him. I want you to ask him the tough question. Do I need to waste my time with you or do I need to move on to somebody else? See, the beautiful thing about God Is he lets us ask him the tough question. He wants us to ask him the tough questions. He invites us to pour out our heart. To pour out our soul. To empty our feelings about what we're feeling. When we're angry with him. When we're frustrated with him. When we're disappointed in him. He wants us to bring it to him. Jesus Christ himself asked God the tough question. When Christ is hanging on the cross. Matthew himself records this in Matthew 27. And all of the sins of the people of the world have been placed on Christ, who's the savior of the world. God actually turns his back on Jesus. And here's Jesus' response to this in verse 46. He says about the ninth hour, Matthew writes this. The ninth hour would have been about three o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a tough question. Going right to him. Where are you? What are you doing? Why have you forgotten me one of my favorite psalms is psalm 42 it's a psalm i go to in my own personal life when i find myself in these places wondering god what are you doing it's one i've often preached from in fact And in psalm 42 the psalmist is struggling he doesn't know how god is operating and people are mocking him people are saying hey where's this god you depended on where's this god that you say is great and listen and look at how the psalmist responds in verse 3, he simply says, my tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? And then in verse 9, he simply says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Why? Where are you? What are you doing? He wants us to bring that kind of stuff to him. My grandmother, my grandmother Walker, my dad's mother. She and my grandfather were pioneers of the faith. They started some 60 churches for the Church of God denomination of which we are a part. Up in the north and northeast portions of the United States. They lived in some tough country in places like North Dakota, Michigan. Some very tough country in that time. Early 1900s we're talking about. While they were ministering in North Dakota. My grandmother gave birth to twin girls. But it was in the middle of a blizzard. And my grandfather couldn't get her to a doctor because all the roads were snowed out. And her daughters, which would have been my aunts, only lived for a few hours. They even tried to put them in the little uh, potbelly stove oven to, to, to keep them warm. But they died. Seven years later, my father was born. Seven years later, twin boys were born again, Dean and Don, in Michigan. My grandmother's in the hospital. and The doctor comes to her and says, I don't think Don is going to make it. And this is what my grandmother writes in response to this. These are her very words. She says this. The morning after their birth, talking about Dean and Don, the specialist came and told me that he did not think Don would live as he could not take milk. He was subsisting on banana powder, but was losing weight. I turned my face to the wall and talked to no one but the Lord. And in my prayers of desperation, I said, Lord... You took the girls, and I didn't question you. Now, if you take one of the twins, take both of them. And if you do, I'm not obligated to serve you another day. Whoa. I tell you, if I'd have been standing there and I heard that prayer, I would have moved a far, far, far away, make sure lightning struck her and not me. But then look what happens. She said, the Lord heard my plea of desperation and healed Don. But we left him in the hospital a few days while we took Dean home. Five days later, the doctor called and said, come and get this baby. He's eating us out of house and home. But did you hear what she said? It was a plea of desperation. See, God knows in this world in which we live in, where there's so much evil and there's so much turmoil and there's so much stress and pressure. We get in these places of desperation. He knows that about us and he lets us bring that to him. And pour it out to him. Why? Why? Because that stuff will eat us up if we don't get it out. The frustration, the anger, the bitterness, the cynicism, the skepticism, the doubt, the hurt, the pain. Whatever it is. He wants us to bring it to him because he's the one that wants to carry that for us. And he's the one that wants to provide us what we need to overcome it. I love what Jesus Christ says, man. He says, ask, you shall receive, seek, you'll find, knock, the door will be open unto you. He wants us to come. And it's interesting in the Greek, the word ask and seek and knock there, it's not just do it one time. The Greek, it means ongoing. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Keep coming to him and bringing it to him. We may not get what we want from him. We may not get what we thought he was going to give us, or he may not do what we expected him to do, but trust me, whatever he does is going to be the right thing that we need at the right time. Ask. Ask him the tough questions. But if in doubt, ask. But also we see here, remember. If in doubt, ask. If in doubt, remember. Jesus Christ says next, something, something interesting. Verse 4, Matthew tells us this. Jesus replied. This is a reply to the question, are you the one? Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now, Christ gives this interesting laundry list of things that the Messiah, that he has been doing. And it's not some random, arbitrary list that he just came up with off the cuff, just off the top of his head. No, this is a very purposeful, strategic list. Because what he's listing here, these particular things, this is what the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied specifically that the Messiah would fulfill. The Messiah would do all these things when he came on the scene. That whole list. And remember, John's question is, are you the guy or not? And Jesus is responding by saying, you go tell him to remember what he has seen and what he has heard. These things here. And it's interesting, Isaiah, Isaiah almost lists these very things verbatim that Jesus Christ has given him. In fact, let me just give you the locations of of, of where Isaiah prophesies about this Messiah doing these things. It's, It's called the Messianic era. These prophecies that at the time of the Messiah, these things would be happening And you see up on the screen, Isaiah 29 11, it says that through the Messiah, the blind and deaf would be healed. Isaiah 35, 6, the lame would walk. Isaiah 26, 19, the dead would be raised. Isaiah 61, 1, the good news would be preached. And they're just going to be there. If you want to write those down and go read them later. Because what Jesus is doing, he is calling upon John the Baptist to remember what the word of God said about who the Messiah would be. You see, John the Baptist was a prophet. He was considered one of the last prophets that we had. At that time, he would have known these Old Testament scriptures. He would have known what the prophecy said about the Messiah. And he's trying to call upon John, remember what God has said about the Messiah. See these things. Do not forget. You see, God is a God of remembrance. God will take us back to places in our lives where he was there before us before. You know, in the Old Testament, they used to set up what they would call uh, memorials. And they would, they would set up these memorials at times when God would do specific, significant things in the lives of the people. And these memorials usually were just a stack of rocks. It would be called an altar. where the people didn't know what God was doing, didn't understand how He was operating, didn't know what was going to happen next. And God would move in a very specific, significant way in their lives. And they would stack these rocks up as a remembrance to say, remember what God did here. So that later on, In the future and other times in their existence. When they didn't know what God was doing. And they didn't understand how he was operating. He would point them back to those stack of rocks. He would say, you remember back here? You remember this time? You felt the same way and remember what I did. I'm the same God now that I was then. And when we come to him and we begin to pour out our hearts and we begin to say, I don't know what you're doing. And we give him all the frustration many times. He's going to take us to places, take, cause us to remember, take us to places where he worked in our lives at other times. He may say to us, hey, you remember? You remember when you didn't know what to do? You didn't know what decision to make and I came with you to discernment and wisdom and you knew it was me? You remember when you found yourself guilty of sin, you found yourself separated from me and you didn't know what to do. And I came with forgiveness and I came with grace and mercy to make you my child. And you knew that was me. Do you remember when you were all stressed out and under a lot of pressure and I came with a peace to you and you knew it was me? Do you remember when you were hurt and I brought comfort? Do you remember when you were sick and I brought healing? Well, guess what? I'm the same God now that I am and was then. I am changed. I may not do the same thing now that I did then, but I will do the right thing. I will create another memorial for you. I got to remember. I want you to think now what is something you know specific, significant that's happened? In your life that you know God is the one that showed up and did it. And you may be sitting here and you go, you know what? I, I don't have a lot of those memories. Or maybe I don't have any of those because I'm really not walking with him. I'm really trying to kind of see where he is. I'm kind of like John the Baptist. In that I'm not sure he's the one or not. And I've never had a previous relationship. And and I'm not sure. Well, can I say to you that maybe today he wants to begin that memorial with you? Maybe today he's trying to say to you, I know you've doubted me. But I'm asking you to trust me. I want to start the memorial for you today. And here's what I discovered in my own life raised a preacher's kid i was raised in a church home i cut my teeth on 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 church pews man i know all about church that did not make me a follower of jesus christ i had to choose that i had to make that decision to follow him church obviously led me there but i had to make that decision And when I came that to place and I, I realized it wasn't all about church. It was about my relationship with him. And I made that decision. You know what I discovered? The Lord began to show me places in my life when I wasn't living for him. But he showed me where he was right there revealing himself to me. And I didn't even know it. And you may be in here thinking, I don't have any memories. I don't have any memorials. Let me tell you something. When we make the decision to trust Him and follow Him, He's going to show us places we didn't know God was doing something in our lives. Ask, remember, and then trust. Trust. Jesus says something. That really, when I really understood what he was saying here, shook me to my foundation. In verse 6, after he's told them, you go back and tell John the Baptist this. He says this to him. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. That word blessed there, it's not the idea of just having good fortune all the time. It doesn't mean just having good things happen. Though obviously that's a part of being blessed. This word blessed here means this. It means... A person is blessed when they have God actively involved in their lives, orchestrating and guiding them according to his divine plan and purpose. That's somebody that's blessed, that has God actively involved, orchestrating, and guiding their lives according to his divine plan and purpose. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying blessed is the person who has me actively involved, orchestrating and guiding their lives, and will trust me even when what I'm doing, they don't understand. And may even offend them. Because this phrase, fall away, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me, That word fall away literally means to be offended to a place that I move away from somebody. I walk away. And what the Lord is saying. He's saying, John the Baptist, listen. Blessed is the person who has me actively involved in their lives. Allowing me to guide and direct them according to my plan and purpose and still trust me even when what I'm doing doesn't make any sense to them and may even offend them and disappoint them because I'm not doing what they want me to do. That they still trust me. Wow. That's tough stuff. Let me just go ahead and let you know, we can ask him the tough questions and he wants us to, but be ready, he may give us some tough statements back. You know what he's saying to John? John, I know you're in prison. I know it doesn't make any sense what you see me doing. And I know you may even be offended and disappointed that I'm not moving the direction you thought I would. But here's my question to you, John. Are you still... Going to trust me? Are you going to get in the wheelbarrow? This is that wheelbarrow moment of trust. And you know, it's the next words that Jesus Christ says that said to me, Man, this is one of the great reasons why I can trust Him when I find myself in this place. Look what He says next. The messengers of John go back to take Him the message. And in verse 11, uh, Jesus turns to the people, look what he says. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Do Do you hear that? John the Baptist has doubted him. John the Baptist has sent this entourage to ask him the tough question. And Jesus doesn't throw him under the bus. Jesus doesn't turn to the people and say, can you believe he would question me? Can you believe that loser over there would have the audacity to question me and call me into account? I won't have nothing to do with him. He is dead to me. That is not what he did at all. He turned to those folks and the person doubting him. He praises him to the people. He holds him up in a claim and says, this is a guy you want to model after. This is somebody you want to follow. Can I say to you? No matter how tough we get with God, he will not kick us aside. He will not turn us away. He'll not throw us under the bus, but he will receive us unto himself. Man, there's the confidence and the security I have that I can trust him when I don't understand because he's not going to throw me up on on the curb. And then he says this. Jesus closes it out by saying from the days of John the Baptist until now. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Now, when you look at that, it looks like Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God is this forceful kingdom. And it is. It has all power and might. There's going to be no kingdom like it because it will last forever. And the almighty God and the all powerful God is the king of the kingdom. So, yes, he is talking about there's this forceful kingdom of God. But really what he's saying is that as the kingdom of God advances... As the kingdom of God according to God's kingdom plan and purpose advances in this earth, there will be evil forces. Men, women, demonic forces that are going to rise up against the kingdom of God to try to pull it down to keep it from advancing. And what he's saying is no matter how much force rises up against God's kingdom, no matter how much evil comes against it, it cannot stop God's kingdom from advancing and you and I who are followers of Christ in this room we are a part of his kingdom and his kingdom is at work within us now Jesus the king is doing that work by the Holy Spirit he has a plan and a purpose that he's working out we don't totally understand that but when we find ourselves in the place of opposition things coming against us things trying to pull us down and pull the kingdom of God down we can trust that no matter what he's doing he will advance the kingdom of God and our our lives and we will overcome no demon of hell can stop what god is doing in our lives if you want to praise him give him praise right now forgive me i like to preach if i'd have been at the Meredith campus i'd have been all over this stage right now why i can trust him when i don't understand what he's doing Because man, I know he's not going to throw me by the wayside even when I am doubting him. And that his kingdom will come as he's designed it. No matter how much opposition rises against me. Man, that's why I can get in the wheelbarrow. Woman Day magazine tells a or had published an article several years ago of a woman by the name of Karen who had a three-year-old little boy named Michael. And she became pregnant with a little girl. And for those of you that have more than one child, you know when that second child is starting to come along, you got to somehow prepare that first child because his or her territory is about to be invaded. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And Karen decided the best way to really help Michael with this was to involve him in the process of bonding with his sister. So the way she did this was had Michael sing to his sister while she was in her belly. And just many, many times throughout the pregnancy, Michael would sing to his sister baby sister, through his mother's stomach. And he would sing, You Are My Sunshine. Well, came time for birth. A lot of complications set in. The little girl ended up in the neonatal ICU unit. It did not look like she was going to live. And the pediatrician told the parents to begin to prepare for a funeral. And this is how the story goes in the article. Karen and her husband contacted a local cemetery about a burial plot. They had fixed up a special room in their house for their new baby. But now they found themselves having to plan for a funeral. Michael, however, kept begging his parents to let him see his sister. I want to sing to her, he kept saying. Week two in intensive care looked as if the funeral would come before the week was over. Michael kept nagging about singing to his sister. But kids are never allowed in intensive care. Karen made up her mind, though. She would take Michael whether it was allowed or not. If he didn't see his sister right then, he may never see her alive. She dressed him in an oversized scrub suit and marched him into the ICU. He looked like a walking laundry basket. But the head nurse recognized him as a child and yelled out, Get that kid out of here. No children allowed. The mother rose up strong in Karen. Have you ever seen the mother rise up within a mother? It's an ugly sight. The mother rose up strong in Karen. And the usually mild-mannered lady glared steel-eyed right into the head nurse's face. Her lips a firm line. He's not leaving until he sings to his sister. Karen towed Michael to his sister's bedside. He gazed at the tiny infant losing the battle to live. After a moment. He began to sing. And in that pure hearted voice of a three year old, he sang, You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. Instantly, the baby girl seemed to respond. The pulse rate began to calm down and become steady. Keep on singing, Michael, encouraged Karen with tears in her eyes. You never know, dear. How much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. As Michael sang to his sister, the baby's ragged, strained breathing began, became as smooth as a kitten's pure. Keep on singing, sweetheart. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamed I held you in my arms. Michael's little sister began to relax in a very healing rest. Keep on singing, Michael. This time it was the bossy head nurse who was crying. Karen glowed. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Please don't take my sunshine away. The next day, the little girl was well enough to go home. Women's Day magazine called it the miracle of a brother's song. The medical staff just called it a miracle. Karen called it a miracle of God. Ever since time began, even after we messed up everything in God's creation, God has been singing to us. He's been telling us over and over and over again how much He loves us, that He has a plan for us. He has been singing and telling us over and over again. This is a very difficult world. This fallen world has a lot of opposition and evil, but He's been singing over and over and over again. Trust me. I know what's best for you. I got you in my hands. All we need to do is respond. And don't give up. Ask, remember, trust, because God is still singing for us. I wish I could tell you that I understand everything about what God does. I don't. Tomorrow at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, we're having a funeral for my uncle. He's in his mid to late 80s. For the past 10 plus years, he's literally been almost catatonic with Alzheimer's. I don't get it. This was a pastor. This was a man that started churches. This is a man that led so many people to Christ. And for the past 10 years, he's had no real quality of life. I don't, I don't understand that. All I can tell you is this to my family God has been singing that he is there he's with us we can trust him I don't have to understand all that he's doing I just got to understand and trust that he knows what he's doing I don't have to know the details I just got to know that he knows and there is where I have to rest I'm going to invite you to stand if you would please I know that through the course of our time here, we have already prayed for needs, but you know, there may be some of us in here walking through some real tough stuff. We're not sure how God's working. We've been praying for some specific things and maybe we're not seeing those things happen or I don't know what the situation it is. but I want to give you an opportunity to have somebody pray with you specifically about what that need might be. Very quickly, if the prayer team would just come and find your place here. Elders and and altar workers, if you just come and find your place very quickly. You know, Pastor Jeremy mentioned a moment ago that we're a community. The community mourns with those that mourn and rejoices with those that rejoice. Also as a part of the community, the the Bible talks to us about praying for one another. And specific things like this, it says when, when, when people are in trouble call for certain leaders within the church and anoint them with oil it says and pray and believe for them so we want to exercise that maybe you're you're believing for a healing maybe you're believing for something financially or something within a relationship Maybe, maybe you're finding yourself in that place of God I just don't get where you're operating I want you to come in just a moment worship team and Sean starts to sing and I just want you to find one of these wonderful people let them pray with you, some of them may anoint you with oil, don't worry about that that's just a, that's just a sign that, that, that God is the healer and that God is the one that's here but you're in need of prayer You you want God to do something very specific I'm going to invite you now to just step out from where you are, come down to one of these and just let them pray and believe for you right now Wherever you are, it's nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed about. You just step out and you come right now. Let them pray with you. Let them believe for you. Let God do what He needs to do. Go ahead, Sean. Give me faith to trust what you say. Father, let that be. An everlasting anthem within us. Something that roots deep. That no matter where we find ourselves. And the sudden hurts and heartaches of life. That you've not abandoned us. You've not forsaken or forgotten. But you're There. There's a plan and purpose being worked out that we can trust you with. And we know that you care about our hurt and you care about our pain. And you know we get desperate. And when we're kicking and when we're screaming and when we're yelling at you, and man, all you do is hold us. Just bring us tight you let us unburden ourselves to you and then you provide us all the strength all the peace and the hope that we need God I thank you for those that came forward for those that have been prayed for I pray that they have heard you today that they have believed you that they have felt you that you have given them something today that says you're there They need not worry anymore. God, I pray. I pray. You continue to make us a people. That we look beyond the circumstances. We look beyond the situation. (laughs) We simply get in the wheelbarrow. And let you do what you do as God. May we hear your constant song of peace and hope and strength and victory and power in our lives. For one purpose, your praise, your glory, and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you put your hands together and can you give God praise for all that he is and all that he does?